Welcome to the dive table. I am Nick Hogle, and with me as always is Jay Gardner. And producer Daniel is here, so this must mean we are recording another episode of the show. Jay, how are you doing today? I am enjoying still the San Diego weather. So I got out of Texas and I'm doing a little bit of training here and staying with the in-laws, hence the background. Um, <laughs> so we're making it work. This is my new podcast studio uh, for the trip, but it was good. I, I finished up a bunch of training today. I'm exhausted. It was a lot of fun. Cold water, uh, you know, it's 55 in the water. <laughs> so it was nice and chilly, but uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm from here, so everything's familiar. It's nice to be back in a place where you know where you are at any point. <laughs> I know who the water's west. I know, you know, where, where things are in relative, uh, you know, capacity to where I am. So that's a nice thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm really looking forward to today, actually. Cool. Cool. Well, I am. We are very excited to welcome Natalie Gibb and Vincent Roquette Catala to the table. Um, this is awesome for us. Uh, they are co-owners of Under the Jungle, a shop in Mexico. Me and Jay were actually down there probably about, what was that, a month ago? And we did some training down there. And um, I don't know if I got a chance to speak to you after the training. You guys were on an exploration project, but I had an absolutely amazing time. Aria, huge, huge shout out. I had so much fun with her. She's a super great instructor. So thank you, Aria, if you're listening. Hopefully you are. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to have you guys back. We actually, uh, did try to record last time while we were there, but we had some technical difficulties. So, um, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because anytime we get to spend a little bit more time with y'all is absolutely amazing. So, um, welcome once again, back to the dive table and, um, anything else to add Jay? No, I think I'll, I'll steal your line and say, let's, uh, what do you say? Let's back roll right into this <laughs> front roll right into the boat, whatever. Yeah. yeah let, front roll. There's back your roll. line. Let's jump right in. Um, okay. Well, I guess we'll just kind of start the show like any other, uh, basic show and, and Natalie and, uh, Vince, if you can just kind of introduce yourselves and, and tell us a little bit about you and the shop and, um, what you got going on down there. aspect ratio that you're going to put this up in are you doing it vertically like a phone daniel 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 like our photos are showing up in the app likely i think it's going to be youtube so okay. it'll probably be this aspect ratio rather than phone no i think you're good i think you're good and then i saw a warning pop up um about storage space did you get that warning too yeah we did okay 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 cool 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 um all right so daniel we're picking back up from the question uh how introduce yourself natalie and vince so hi everybody i'm natalie gibb and i'm uh <laughs> Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the shop under the jungle that y'all co-own? Sure. Uh, under the jungle is a cave and technical diving center here down in the Riviera Maya, close to Tulum in Mexico. And, uh, we started it about six or seven years ago now, um, with the idea of being able to do the type of training that we want to do. So really individualized training for cave diving, for technical diving, um, high quality personalized service, and the shop's gone wild. It's really grown. We have yeah, like three <laughs> instructors and us teaching pretty much full time, and we just love it. It's such a privilege to be able to dive the cenotes every day for a job. Yeah, no, cool. and uh, another aspect was definitely also trying to make a base for exploration. I think it's how it really started, because we just wanted to have a place where we could have equipment, a place where we can base our explorations from, and ideally that would make it interesting to the community, uh, 
having people stopping by to speak about their own exploration with their own students and just create like a truly passionate uh, place where, where the community could meet and keep speaking about the thing and not just a place to make business out of diving. And uh, it has worked so far beyond expectations, actually, which is, uh, which is pretty incredible and super cool. And it's become really neat because we had this idea of sort of building a community. And for example, right now, we have three or four of the divers that we've certified as cave divers, as well as a bunch of local people that we've certified as cave divers. And they're all meeting up in the shop in the mornings, getting tanks and going diving off all their own. And it makes me so proud to see like the next generation sort of start going for it. It's really cool. Yes, and we feel old and like daddy and mommy. <laughs> When you hear the dinner bell, you better be back at, at the front door. That's right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, so tell us a little, let's start maybe with the basics because you guys are incredible uh, divers. Uh, obviously, you're shop owners and you're creating this amazing community. You have so much knowledge, but maybe go back to the, the fundamentals, the roots. What brought each of you to your first breath underwater? Kind of how did you, how did you get into scuba? Um, tell us that story because I think it's really interesting. So for me, I never thought I would enjoy scuba diving. It was never something I was interested in at all. And I went to the Florida Keys on a whim on a little solo vacation on a weekend when I lived in New York City and I had zero plans. So I got off of the plane and I said, I want to go to the Keys. How do I get there? And somebody said, you need to rent a car. So, you know, I rented a car and I found myself driving down this amazing highway. And on Key Largo, I stopped by a state park because I like state parks. And I asked them, what do you do here? And they said, well, we do scuba diving. And I said, huh, okay, uh, can I try that? And they said, yeah, you need to read this book and come back tomorrow. We have a four-day class starting. And so that is what I did. And I never made it off of Key Largo. And the first breath I took underwater was in this murky, gross, algae-filled lagoon that had maybe like two fish and some lobsters. And it was just the most insane experience I have ever had in my entire life. I was like, you know, I'm weightless and the fish are floating around. They're flying like birds. This is a completely different dimension. And I have to do this for the rest of my life in some way or another. So yeah, so on my side, that was kind of a different story. Since I was three years old, I was just obsessed with water and with scuba divers. I have no idea why and where that comes from, because I have no scuba divers at all in my family. And my mom swims like a rock, pretty much, probably worse than a rock. Um, but she doesn't watch. <laughs> and uh, I had this obsession for scuba. I made myself some, some fake scuba tanks for the bath tube when I was like four years old. Uh, and then I kept speaking, speaking about it, having reading books about divers, and my parents just offered me a pair of jet fins that I still have about this size when I was six. <laughs> and uh, that's how I started to do snorkeling, and I was telling my friends that my snorkel could filter the oxygen from the water because I wanted to go deep, and all sorts of lies, of course. But my parents thought that we would eventually pass, and uh, I kept asking and asking and poking them, and until I was 10, they took me to the dive club in my city because it was, to be a two, it was supposed to be 10 at this time to start diving. And they told my parents, no, it has to be 12 now. It's like the law just changed. And my dad was like, come on, take the kids in the, take the, kid in the pool. <laughs> been, since he was born, he's been annoying us with like scuba. So hopefully he doesn't like it. And, uh, and then he will, uh, he will think about something else. And so they took me with a tiny tank into the swimming pool, like in 10 feet of water. And that was the, my very first breath in the water. I was 10 years old. And I remember being like so amazed at the artificial light reflections through the surface in the swimming pool at night. And that's actually a memory that I've never forgotten about. So that was my very first breath in the water. There were many after that, but yeah. 
Cool. Cool. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it's so funny because uh, you you mentioned that at such a young age, and I've got young kids, but I met this uh, this young guy who I think he's four years old, and he's obsessed with scuba divers. I don't, yeah. I don't know where it came from, but uh, I was with him in the pool, and um, I put on a full face mask for him because I haven't brought up my gear for him yet. And showed him the, the giant stride into the pool. <laughs> no fins, nothing. And he was just like, you know, scuba dive, scuba dive, scuba dive. I mean, he can barely talk. And now all he, all he can say is scuba diving. So it's so interesting how that imprint for you, young, has led you now to where you are. And how young you knew is just amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish I was that young. And <laughs> that's my only regret in scuba is I didn't start earlier. So uh, I think you, you've got us all beat with your, uh, <laughs> your, your really early knowledge that that's what you wanted to do. It's just amazing. Yeah, that, that's cool. But at the same time, it kept me for, for many, many years of my life and still away from so many other possibilities in life and activities, right? So I started really young. I never stopped, but I was so much into it that there's one thing I do kind of okay in life, which is diving. I stick to it and that's it. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Um, so I guess uh, a na another natural question would be from, you know, tell us a little bit about the journey from, you know, your open water into technical and then obviously into cave diving. Like, was that something that you knew you wanted to do kind of early on or was it just first time in a cave? Like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, how how did that all come about? So for me, I did four open water dives in Florida, and I went back to New York City where I lived at the time, and I walked into a dive shop there and said, I need to keep diving. What do I need to do? And um, I didn't know anything. And they said, you're going to need to buy this back plate and a wing, and you need to buy you know, a dry suit. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I did that. <laughs> And uh, it was a technical diving shop, as most of the shops in the, in the Northeast are, because that's about what you can do. And so I would go with, like, a new buddy and my back plate and my wing in a single tank down the shot line. And I could, you know, barely see the wreck way below. And we would just hang out at 80 feet and help the guys that were pulling lobsters off the wreck bring them up to the surface while they did their depot. <laughs> and I loved it. I just wanted to be underwater. And because it was a technical shop, a lot of the divers were cave divers. And so they would go down to Florida and they would come back with all of these stories like, oh, like I almost died cave diving, blah, 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 blah. Like I thought, ooh, that sounds horrible. I never want to cave dive. What kind of idiots cave dive? This sounds risky. There's a lot of chest feeding with these people. So they were all really badass. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, but then I moved to Mexico to do a re research internship. And while I was here in Mexico for a very short period of time, maybe two weeks into me living in Mexico, and the opportunity to go on a guided cenote tour, which is like a DSD for overhead diving. And I didn't really want to, but I thought I should try it. And my, it was at Dos Ojos, and my first breath underwater in the cave was an epiphany. It was life-changing. It was inspiration. And when I came out of that dive, I said, you know, I want to be a cave diver. I'm going to have a cave diving center. I want to train cave divers. I'm going to explore caves. This is what I will do for the rest of my life. And I'm four foot eleven, and all these guys were like, "Okay, how are you going to pick up the tanks?" I said, "I'll pick up the tanks because it was all back on doubles at that point." And uh, that's what I did. And then I met Vince. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, on uh, on my side, it was. Different stories. So I started when I was 10, what I was saying, and then I never really stopped. And I did my first instructorship when I was 18, and at the same time I was at the university. So I was part of this uh, student dive club where most of the time, instead of training, we were going out and drinking and, and all sorts of cool student activities. So, so the diving was, was more a reason and an excuse that, than, a, than an end, really. 
And but there were still these three guys doing uh, insane deep dives at the time, and there were some of the European trimix pioneers part of the club. I became friends with them, and one of them ended up being my instructor for me becoming an instructor, right, like a trainer. And uh, and uh, I was super fascinated by their story. They were doing like 600 feet dives on open circuit, exploring the deepest French caves and so on. And the guys were like 28, 30 years old. And um, and right before I was about to finish my studies, and one of them, this guy, actually died on, a, on an exploration dive on the 31st of, of December. I was supposed to come out on the 1st of January, and that never happened. So my, my dad woke me up with a newspaper and, uh, and with the face of my friend, right? And I told you that cave diving is dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so to cut it short, like after that, it took me like there was a big depression, and after six months of that, I actually decided that I would be a full-time diver because life was too short. I didn't want to keep uh, in the in the chemical process industry that I was uh, that I was studying, right? And uh, that's when I left to New Zealand. I learned English. I did my PIDI ITC over there. I met a guy that is now pretty renowned, uh, Pete Mesley, and I started to do some tech diving with him, and. I kept traveling, I ended up arriving in Mexico, and I go to a party in Mexico, my neighbor invited me. They said, oh, you're the new guy in the block, so come, uh, come to the party. And I started to talk to, to a guy, and just talking, we realized that we had the friend who had died in common. So I kind of left my everything I was doing to travel the world and become a diver. I arrived in Mexico, and I met somebody who knew the person who actually even dead, kind of changed my life, right? So I thought, oh, that's really weird. And he told me, come on a, come on a cavern tour with me. Like, you, you will love the cenotics. So I go on a cavern tour with the guy, and I came out of the dive, and he said, how did you like it? I was, that was horrible. <laughs> at the time, I loved wrecks, and I loved fish. I, I liked deck diving, but for wrecks and the history and the cannons and the weapons, and we were pulling uh, bombshells and anyway. He was like, oh, that's too sad, so you are not uh, going to take a course with me because I just turned a cave instructor, and I was expecting to sell my first course as long as you're already a tech diver. He was, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I want to take a cave course. He was like, why? It was just because you look too good in the water and the techniques you have, I can see how I can apply that to wrecks. So I'm going to spend another year in Mexico practicing caves to become a better tech diver, and then I will keep traveling the world and learn new languages. And that was 19 years ago almost. Because uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be in the caves. And then after 30 or 40 cave dives, you know, like young scuba instructor, I didn't have much money to try mix dives. Uh, so the caves were really convenient. I could go hangover pretty late in the day, short dive, long dive. Uh, and yeah, and, uh, and that was not meant to be. But 19 years after, I'm just like way older and still here diving caves every day. So, so yeah, good stories. <laughs> awesome. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Um, how did you two meet? <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> So um, I was working at a dive shop in a town nearby called Puerto Aventuras, and um, there was a diver who would dive out of our shop sometimes just in the ocean, and he was a, he was a cave diver, and I had just become a cave diver. Um, and so he invited me to go cave diving with him, and I was a poor open water scoop instructor, and I didn't have a car, so I would go with anybody. I was thrilled. And he also invited Vince to go cave diving. So we were all three cave diving together. And we had never dove with this person before. And he was just, I mean, he wasn't a horrible diver, but he was just, just swimming right through it, not looking at anything. It wasn't an enjoyable dive. You want to look around a little bit. <laughs> and so we got out of the first dive and I was like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know about you're going pretty fast, Vince. Was, yeah. I said, well, I'd go diving with you again, Vince. And he was like, yeah. So we changed numbers. And then we, we started going diving off on our own without this person. And uh, the friendship just grew from there. Yeah, pretty much. 
We met in Nohochnachit. Yeah, we met in Nohochnachit. <laughs> and then how, how did that go from, from there to now, you know, uh, to being co-owners of a business together and partners and all of those things? I mean, um, I, I've been partners before in other businesses. And I mean, it's, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's tougher than even being married. So <laughs> how did you, how did you get to, uh, to that place? And, and what's it like for you guys running a shop together? I mean, I would say it started with exploration. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, and I started with diving a little bit together and, uh, and, and I was still working. I mean, I was still like craving for diving, for cave diving. So again, scuba instructor in Playa del Carmen, you know, single in 24. I mean, there are lots of pretty tempting activities around, right? So I, I would go out uh, on weekends with my friend on Friday before my day off, but I would go back home at 12 to go cave diving the next day. And everybody was like, man, you're dumb. It's like you have girls around, you're 24, you're single. Why do you go cave diving every day off? Right? <laughs> and, uh, and I was actually super, super uh, kind of bummed to see that lots of the people would say, yeah, we go diving, we do that. So I was making plans. And nobody would ever show up, they were hangover, they couldn't wake up, even hangover to dive and such. So when I met Nat and I saw the motivation there, I always had in the back of my mind that the main goal of cave diving one day to become an explorer. Because I like swimming the caves, I love teaching it, I love them. But there is something more, there's, there's another dimension to it. The exciting thing about the cave is that you don't know what is around the corner and you want to go there. So I just gave her a call one night, I was hey, I didn't have any idea how that Speak about explore You want to explore caves? And she goes like, "Yeah, I will spend my last penny on cave exploration. Let's meet in this bar or whatever." So we met in the bar. We got beers. I think we got drunk, and from there we started to have this super cool thing that cave exploration made us grow as divers because we had to learn Simon from Steinman stage and then deco cave dives and then DPV. But that's every time that the exploration project that were an objective for us to improve as divers. And uh, we have always done it like together at the same time due to the projects we had together. Um, and then after a while that turned into the project of making a shop for what we were speaking about at the beginning, to do the things the way we want them to be done and to really have like an exploration center. Uh, so it all came from the same thing at the end, just curiosity. And we have many times spent our very last penny on exploration. <laughs> yeah, we do. we do. And we still do. We still do. <laughs> um, so when you, when you were first starting out in exploration, was that just something y'all went into and was just like, I want to find new territory somewhere that nobody's been before, or just, I want to see something that I haven't seen. Like the, the exploration side of it was just automatic. As soon as you started cave diving. I mean, I think if you're, at least I can't speak for Vince, but if you're my personality type, so finding something new about the world, being an adventurer is always sort of the goal of, in my life. You know, I, I always wanted to be an explorer. I just didn't know what I was going to explore. <laughs> um, so I found it. Um, and it was a natural move from just being a cave diver to learning to explore. We didn't know what we were doing at the beginning at all. Um, <laughs> But I, I found a, a cenote out behind my house when I lived at Alcomal that hadn't been explored. They said um, it had a little bit of line in it from somebody that I know, actually. But he told us just to go ahead. He wasn't working there at all. He finished that project 10 years ago. And so uh, Vince and I started trying to learn to survey, to play line, um, and to explore this cave. It was called Tatich. And... We've laid some really horrible things there, <laughs> done some really dumb things, but it was shallow, it was a good first place, yeah. So yeah, and, and, and speaking for myself, I think I, I had, what I was saying earlier, I was really into, when I was younger, when I started technical diving, I was more into 
uh, rack history and trying to find all racks, which unfortunately I never did because I didn't have the opportunity to participate in projects like that. But when I arrived here again, and I realized that I could dive shallow on air and with the right techniques and just the willingness to do so, there were still uncharted parts of the planet. I was exactly that. I had the same wish since I was a kid to explore. And I remember when I was like four or five years old, uh, I would look at a river, at a lake, at a puddle after the rain, and I would always wonder what was laying underneath the surface. And that was this curiosity driving me to become a diver, I think, and to, and to explore wrecks and to go deeper into things. So then when I realized that everywhere around here, we had these beautiful uh, limestone warm caves that people were not really bothering about. And I was like, oh, this is for me. It's like we have like these kilometers and kilometers of places on the planet that nobody knows, and it's right here. So I think I have to do it. And then it turns into such an addiction that you never leave. Uh, Yeah, so I I love the fact that in a lot of ways, when you guys talk about exploration, you talk about the word curiosity. And then you also tie that to we just have to keep getting better to keep going. And it helps us get better. I'd love for you guys to take a minute just because now you are very experienced uh, explorers in a lot of ways, uh, at least in my, uh, (laughs) from my view, from my, my perch, um, you know, and, and to hear some of the stories, but can you talk a little bit about the mindset of being an explorer? And is that different than when you're just jumping in to go and Cozumel and, uh, you know, look at the fishes at, uh, on a 30 foot reef dive or, or is it the same or, or what is that mindset that's driving you in, in your preparation, in the actual exploration, in the, all the work it takes to even open up a site in the first place and get access and all those things. Can you spend a minute just talking about the mindset that it takes to be an explorer at, at your guys' level? I would say that, yes, what we do is different from open water diving, uh, from recreational sort of fun diving. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the mindset required to be an explorer is fundamentally different from the mindset required to be a technical or a cave diver. There's a a lot of overlay. Um, You have to be very methodical. You have to control your emotions. Even when you're really excited about finding something new, even when something works out, you have to be very cold and methodical. And then you get excited when you get out of the water. Um, And so a lot of it, I think, you know, it's, in the water sort of control to an extremely high level for me. Um, I'm still enjoying it, but it's a level of control where I am completely in the moment. It's not what I would consider meditation, but it's something similar where you're just there and you're hundred percent focused on what you're doing in, in a very, yeah, cold and methodical method. Um, and then, Vince always says exploration is frustration. So the outside of the water park, which is probably like 90% of exploration is locating landowners, the human relations side of it, talking to people, finding the next hole to go into. That can be really highly frustrating. So you, you can't be too pushy, but you also just have to not give up. So maybe one person doesn't want you on no man and there's no way you're get in there but there's always the next person the next lender to talk to and so you have to have a little bit of stick to it yeah yeah so no i think that was a very good description any good cave or technical diver probably can technically be an explorer but yeah what matt was mentioning to me the biggest difference is you need to be ready to deal with frustration all the time at every single level. And instead of giving up due to the frustration, what lots of people do, that is actually like, that should be fueling uh, some kind of ego and revenge to forget this instant of frustration that is going to lead to another one. Just an example, if you make it to the end of your reel and you've had a bunch of gas and the cave is opening and you're frustrated because you could have taken more line. And the day you take more line, you just finish your gas and you need to turn with a bunch of line. And the day you have the gas and the line, 
you turn the corner and the cave ends and so on and so on. So you always have to expect that and you have to be ready for it. And it's, it's again like it's fueling the next time you go because you need to overcome this level of frustration. Uh, and that's to me the biggest difference with the rest. Really. You like to suffer for no reason, pretty much. It's, it's some kind of masochism, really. <laughs> okay, yes. Sometimes exploring or being a tech diver, they feel so cool. You just walk around and you think, I am a cave diver. And you're like, oh, yeah, great. So you're, you're like, <laughs> this guy's a cardiac surgeon. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about while we were down there, it was a pretty surreal experience for us. While we started our class, you um, were setting off on an exploration project, which I thought was really cool to see, just loading up the tanks, loading up all the equipment. Um, and, and this is kind of a cool uh, comeback to that because uh, I saw a little bit of stuff on social media, but how did that exploration project work out? Did it meet expectations? Did it surpassed expectations. Any moments of frustration? Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Well, it's in a place where there's restricted access. So, you know, we've been going into this one hole for about four years now. Um, but it depends upon who's in charge of the location as to whether they will let us on or not. So um, the last two months we've gone down there We've gotten on, and it was the first time in four years. So it was very exciting to get back into this place called Melmac. And uh, we had an idea from the trip from the previous month of where to go. And it went. We added two kilometers of line in four or five dives. Yeah, and um, we ended up like in a totally sort of different area of the cave at the very end, which I probably don't think is the main tunnel, but it was really low and the geology changed entirely. So it was really interesting to see the cave change. That was exciting. Um, and we got to do some really big dives. Actually, we were taking three stages, so five tanks all together and two DPVs and then deco gases. So it's always fun when you get to do something really technical as well. Yeah. And like, Geek out about it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super cool. Uh, ended up doing yeah these big dives with like DPVs and lots of deco behind, like average depth of seventy feet with max depth of eighty, but like for hours of bottom dives. And uh, and yeah, we just ended up like in some massive, massive caves, like places where there were like a couple of dives where we literally had to 
navigate following a compass heading because you don't have walls as visual references in it. Uh, and that's of course like I feel so great. You feel like so tiny, kind of overwhelming at the same time. Uh, and we eventually run into what Matt was saying, probably what is one of the boundaries of the system in one direction. But doing so, we cross so many other massive passages that are super promising and, uh, and, and promising many, many more weeks of exploration just for this section, which is already a tiny section of a super big cave. Uh, and, and during the trip, we passed the 16 kilometers marked mark altogether. It's like 16.5 right now, but the potential is, is pretty unlimited uh, from what we've seen. So. Cool. So that was cool. good. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Vince, like, checked all the tanks the day before to make sure they were all full and everything. And then we just sort of told our employee to put the tanks in the truck um, while we reloaded everything else. And somehow the employee didn't realize all of the O2 bottles were supposed to go onto the truck. And we didn't catch it. So we drove, like, four and a half hours and we got to this place. And we had, like, two O2 bottles. <laughs> For a week of deco. So we were like, okay, we're going to hold these to like the biggest days, which will clearly come at the end of the week. So for like three or four days, we were decoing on 32% nitrox, which meant that dirty, we were doing some dirty deco, which meant that we were doing like completely unnecessary, like 50 minutes of deco, <laughs> 60 minutes of deco in this place where you have like three feet of viz and you're and like kind of a restriction it is very very silty um that wasn't our finest moment and we won't forget the o2 ever again yeah we still managed we did good uh, yeah we, we found some other little sections too and again that's learning uh, it, it, it's time you don't make the same mistake and it's actually better than what's happening there that Let's say that one day we go explore like some island in the Pacific, uh, <laughs> and then we're like, oh shit, we forgot the thing. So we learned, and uh, so that was in a good way. That was a good lesson. Well, you guys got like my checklists to make sure everything goes. This is really the for a exploration checklist, and the first thing's going to go on top is. Oxygen. <laughs> That's a good thing to go on. <laughs> um, and then well, I just had congratulations one... on that dive. Yeah, yeah, no, congratulations. And I just had uh, one more question about that because I noticed I think it was on the the Instagram you were saying, "Oh, we're taking the kid out diving or exploring." Nick, was that was that his first exploration with you all, or was it just like a thing like we're taking him out? Like, how, how did that all go? No, that was not his first exploration with us. Otherwise, we would not have taken him there. But this place is actually pretty challenging from a technically speaking and psychologically as well. It's not an easy case. It's like the, you have like tidal flow, you have H2S everywhere. It seems like rotten egg and you have these pieces falling and it's deeper. And, and there's no visibility on the exit unless you're scootering. But that was his first time, but to us, it's one of our legendary cave systems. I would think it's definitely like one of the most interesting things we've been exploring over the last few years. So as a treat to him, that was more like, now you're going to see the, you're going to face the beast and to understand what he's doing. And actually, like he came out of the first dive, I was just diving with him because we had agreed that he should not uh, be by himself at this point and we should be like kind of. Not do any big pushes either, yeah. Yeah, just to let him get used to the place and understand. He came out of the dive, yeah, like his wide eyes, and he was like, so you are not lying? It's like, I don't know if I really feel comfortable in this place. It's kind of fucking freaky. But then he relaxed, and actually, the last two days he was with us, he did pretty good. And he started to understand and found some really good sections. Uh, and that was actually really good for me to dive with him and to see the, to to see my little Padawan and the little like the, the baby exploring. He was like, "Do you want the real? No, it's all yours now." And I'm just enjoying the 
watching you progressing and, and being excited about it was probably as exciting to me than, than being the one laying the line. I didn't get to go diving with Nick because I didn't save the last survey file from the last dive of the last day of the last month. So I got to go all the way back to the end of the line, not to explore, but to be serving the line on the first day. Another one of those checklist items. No. That's awesome. Um, can you so so maybe going keeping on this this path here? I would love for for each of you um, to tell us kind of your most memorable. Just personally, what's your most memorable exploration moment? And um, I know, Nat, when we were there, we talked about that one. And I remember just feeling like a, a kid at the campfire or at the feet of the storyteller, just listening to you tell these stories and, and you as well, Vince. And they were just amazing. So I'd love to to hear and for you guys to share your most – Your it doesn't have to be most memorable, but your favorite kind of exploration moment up until this point. Well, there are of course like a bunch right now, and that's and that's always the good thing about keeping doing it because these part, these little moments are really worth all the frustration before I was speaking about, right? So we keep chasing it, and they keep happening. When, uh, however, of course, I would say something that has been like a big switching point in in my exploration career was the cenote behind Nat's house in Akumal, where I was speaking about. Well, there was a tiny amount of line, uh, laid in the 90s by some pretty big cave explorers like Bill Phillips, Pablo Diaz, at the time the people were working on the Chich. And these lines were ending in two rooms that would just use the place to practice survey. But that was still the time where we were not really good at survey. Um, and at the end of one of these lines, I had noticed a hole in a wall that kept, that started like to, to, to bug me. And I came out of the dive and I went, in the hole there, I think there in the hole, I think the cave keeps going, and there is this line which has come out. That was Bill Phillips. I mean, there's, <laughs> no, there's no way they missed anything there. It's a tiny cave, it doesn't go anywhere. You just keep it for practicing survey because it doesn't go anywhere. There's no point that you go everywhere. I didn't try to discourage you, I told you no. to go check the hole. Yeah, true. But at the same time, I was okay, you go. So, yeah, so. I go check it. I, I doubt Bill missed anything. I would never tell you not to go yeah. check the hole. <laughs> And there was one evening where we were coming back from another project we spoke about earlier, Tatich. Uh, and on the way back, I still had a bit of gas in my tanks. And I was saying, I want to check the hole. I want to check the hole. That was like, check the hole. Okay, well, we're here. Stop, take your tanks, go check it so we know. I said, Are you coming, guys? They're like, no, we stay here. Like, everybody was like, okay, he's going to check his thing. And actually, uh, I came back uh, two hours after uh, with an empty, empty reel. And, and I said, you need to come yes. and see that, because it just goes <laughs> after the hole in the wall, you know, and after that, it just opened in a massive bedding plane with hollow climb, formation, I emptied the reel in like no time, and after that, from 140 meters of line that these people had laid in the 90s, we made the place grow, because of course we didn't make it, that's nature, but we explored over 8 kilometers behind this hole. Uh, and to me, that's really when I felt that I started to understand the geology, I started to understand how to look at the caves, and that was one of the most satisfying moments in my entire life, really. I came out of the dive, and I, I could see her with another friend, like, standing on the edge of the water waiting for me, and I didn't even come out of the water, I just took the reel, and I just, like, tossed it, like, on the ground, like, that kind of, like, victory, you know, like, a trick. <laughs> Yelling and saying, I told you that would go. And then actually, they took times. Yeah, no, okay, so we need to check it out right away. And that was an ongoing project for more years, actually. Yeah. So that was for me, my higher moment. Best moment. I don't know for you. I would say one of the most satisfying exploration moments for me was Medusa. Uh, which is a cave a bit south of here. We've been exploring in an area for quite a while uh, where really people haven't been exploring probably because the caves are disgusting, dangerous, and filled with microbial life. 
Uh, they're not beautiful, they have terrible visibility and are full of hydrogen sulfide, but I like them, we like them. So um, we, we found this, Milrio shown this one, Cenote, uh, that we eventually connected to the one that we were talking about, Melmac. We've been exploring there for maybe eight or nine years in this area now. And uh, we have maybe eight different systems uh, that we've been working on. It's really difficult to find caves in this area because there was a lot of hurricanes that came by and there's more topsoil. So a lot of people have cenotes, cenotes that have been filled in. So I was always trying to find another entrance. The entrance to Pandora is in uh, a lagoon, a bay. And so uh, I started like looking on Google Earth and making these plans. And I uh, came up with a theory uh, based on the geology of the area. And I spoke with a hydrogeologist that I work with a lot, Dr. Patricia Bettos. She thought I was right. Um, so I started taking Google Earth points where I thought there should be more freshwater outlets. And uh, we would take boats and every time we would go down there, we would spend like one day a lot of money on a boat going to all these different places to see if there were there was any caves and we were finding like little openings like small tubes that were pushing fresh water out so we knew i wasn't wrong but there weren't really diveable caves and so in the end of 2019 we actually found and a cave you could get into based on my my hypothesis about cave distribution in the area um, so I just did this from like maps and theories and understanding of geology and Trisha's help. And uh, we got there and it was like crazy, crazy flow pushing in, like pushing you out really hard. Um, so I went first, Vince was right behind me and I was expecting another microbial filled hydrogen sulfide cave and I could smell hydrogen sulfide. But I went into this first room and it was just all like seashells, like three meters deep in seashells everywhere. Everything was shells. It was like soft rock ceiling filled with shells, shells everywhere. And it was so soft that the visibility was immediately zero. But I was like, I found one, we gotta check it. So I'm like going around, like feeling my way through, trying to figure out where to go. And Vince is just kind of behind me going, like, what's going on here? <laughs> and uh, you try to follow the flow and there was strong flow at this point. So I swam all of a sudden, the water pushed me into the ceiling. And I was like, oh, I gotta go down against this. So I like nosedive down this hole. And as I'm out maybe five or six meters, and I was in this room just covered with orange encrusting sponges. And I couldn't see very, like for very long, like I breathed out and like all this stuff came down. So Vince behind me didn't get to see anything again. He was just literally following a line. Um, but I was having a great time. So I kept going in and I went through all these like little windy restrictions and you know, it's just going to zero visibility behind me like, immediately. So eventually maybe 10, 15 minutes in, Vince is like tugging my fin, his lights aren't gonna work. I'm like, all right, fine. So I cut the line and we just kind of float back out and, and he could see nothing. All he saw was like brown water until he hit the entire time. So he was like, I'm not doing this. Like there's no point of us both going because I can't see anything. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back. So I went back uh, by myself this time, got to the end of line, and I swam a little bit farther, maybe 200 meters or something max, maybe not even that much, maybe 100 meters. And it changed, it became like the soft sort of brown sediment that you see a lot of microbial caves and all of these formations, like stalactites and bites that were covered in this sediment. Uh, but they looked a little bit like some of the stuff we've seen in other caves. And so I went for a little while longer, but it was really challenging. So I thought, you know, I need to, I need to take a break. So I cut the line and I went to tie it off to go back out. And I felt the line go totally loose behind me. And so uh, that, you know, I, I could see nothing behind me. It was terrible visibility. Um, and if... Uh, like that line gets pulled off or into a crack. I am not going to make it out of this cave. So I just sat there for like three minutes while my heart was racing and I couldn't feel my hands until I like forced myself calm again before I even moved. And then I like very carefully like retied the line and 
and I swam for it a little bit and kept like kind of nudging it on the things. And then I found like a formation I tied off onto, just fallen over into the queue. So I got up, got to the surface, thought about it for a minute. Decided I hadn't gone through all of this for the last years for nothing. And it's like, I'm going back in. And it's like, give me your tank, Smith. So Vince is just sitting on this boat in the middle of the sun for like five hours. So I take his tanks and I go back in and I get to this end of line, like I kind of repair things and I keep going and it's getting like a little bit more promising. And then I, I get to what looks like a wall in front of me and um, there's like, it's just filled with sediment. It's maybe like six inches of darkness. It looks like it keeps going. And the sediment is really, really soft. It's like jello. You can put your hand in it. It's like fluffy jello. So I think about it for a minute. I'm like, you know, I'm going to try this. So I, I start to try to like snow plow through this stuff. And so like I'm up to goo like to here, but it doesn't restrict the regulators. So who cares? So I keep going. <laughs> and then I like run into a, I run into a wall. Like with my right tank, but there's still like a little space to my left. So I take my right tank off and I hold it in front of me. I keep going. I hit something with my left tank and I hold, so I take that off. I hit it in front of me. So I've got two tanks that are real and it's really gooey. So I'm like, you know what? I just pull a bunch of line off the real log and I throw it as hard as I can in front of me. And um, then I kind of snow plow my way through this thing and I pop out into this like dark chamber. Um, right at the edge of this big hole going straight down. Um, and my reel is just sitting right on the edge of this. And I look down and I see like all the typical microbial growths that you see in this other cave system that we're exploring that are the source of the hydrogen sulfide. So I went down, I tied my line. I thought that's enough for today. I found the main cave and then I swam out and we went, did you die the first day? Uh, I think I went back to, to see the hole. Yeah, and then I got Vince. We went back just to go check it real quick. Because I've gone back and forth like four times now. So I put all the goo out. Um, and, um, <laughs> and yeah, and it became another project. But it was super satisfying because it was so challenging and so difficult. And I feel like every exploration I've done up to this point kind of prepped me for that. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that. If I hadn't had this experience from one place and this experience from another place, that all grew to make me capable of doing this. Um, and also, Vince being willing to just wait on the boat for six hours <laughs> is pretty nice as well. Indulged me. Um, and yes, yeah, so that was the coolest experience was coming and I just did it and proved my hypothesis about cave distribution. There are caves there. Actually, I posted a picture about the place a couple of days ago for a talk I'm going to give in France like in a month from now, and that's the place. Yeah. Like if you see it on Facebook, like you think I'm, you see me from the back, there's a tank on the line and like all these reformations everywhere. That's it, the lowest big level after all these adventures to make it to the big hole. That's awesome. Um, so I guess uh, my other, my last question, I don't know if Jay probably has another question. Um, I saw a really uh, cool video of you, Natalie, talking about your guardian Alouche. And I was wondering, ah! yeah, I was wondering if you had um, any, if you've had any more run-ins. And then also, Vincent, um, have you had run-ins with, I'm assuming you have a guardian Alouche as well. I'm assuming both of you have one, so... If you would uh, just kind of tell us about that a little bit. Well, okay, so I, I always have this thing I try to explain to people because I always have these huge dramatic problems and adventures where things go wildly wrong. Um, that if you're <laughs> going to be a person who does adventurous things, you will have adventures. Um, and they won't always be positive. So um, my joke is that I'm a person who I always have things go wildly wrong, but when they go wildly wrong, they go wrong in the best way possible. So, um, like I, for example, uh, had my truck like tire fall off 18 kilometers from cell phone service, but I, um, like was walking around like for two kilometers trying to get to a ranch I knew and just at one corner, 
I got cell phone service and I was able to call for help like just like that. And when the mechanic actually saw my truck, the tire was, it wasn't because I was on the dirt road. Um, the mechanic I had hired to replace my suspension, um, I don't know about some about mechanics, and he didn't do a good job. So the wheel was going to fall off at some point. And so if it had fallen off while I was driving like 60 miles an hour on the highway, I probably would have died, right? Like with all the tanks and stuff, or I could have injured somebody. So a bad thing in the best way possible. Um, and so this seems to be a, a, a theme in my life. And then the joke <laughs> is that I have a guardian alush. And alush is a like, little uh, Maya mythological creature, like a leprechaun kind of that's naughty. And they'll mess with you. And so mine's a guardian. So it messes with me to keep worse things from happening. Um, and I would say the most recent alush experience was uh, two trips ago when we were in this exploration area, we're driving out like an hour from where we're staying, an hour and a half from where we're staying, uh, to an area with no cell phone service, and like it is not a safe place to have your truck break, especially with all the stuff we have. And uh, we were driving out to go there on this last project, and uh, my truck broke um, in the town before we got out of cell phone service that morning. So it was super disappointing to not get to go diving for a day or two, but, if it had happened half an hour later, we would have been in serious trouble. Um, so that was my most recent experience <laughs> about a month ago. And uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Like the cold, cold, close calls and everything. To, to me, like the most positive thing about it, I don't know how I managed to do that, but I always end up finding or meeting super impressive and inspiring people and i'm pretty good at connecting with them and and it just turned into like this weird uh, bunch of contacts and people i know around like mexico and some of them like around the world now and i keep the thing going because at one time you met them they make you meet another person and things keep flowing so i don't know there is there is definitely i don't know what or who there is something that was that is still here looking after us and something that I, I really I really feel more and more from some of the stories I told you earlier that no matter what I didn't know how it would happen, I didn't know that was caves. But since I was born I was probably meant to be one day a cave explorer. And everything is combining. You just need to be open to the side. Uh, you, you you just need to, to keep curious again. You need to talk to the people, to respect everybody, to know, and tell them about your story, and ask them for more caves and cenote. I, mean, I go to the beach with my wife, and we meet somebody who says, oh, I have this little ranch. And writer is, oh, really? Do you have any cenote? And that's keep going and going and going. So that's, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what to say. And yeah, I've been safe. I, there is something watching after us. Uh, this doesn't have as bad of a luck as I do. <laughs> no, <laughs> kind of me. Oh, yeah, but, but, no, I don't really have it. I have more like the finding these weird people. I, I have a smell for weird, but interesting people. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I have like a thousand more questions, but uh, of course we're, we're limited on time. And so um, maybe I'll just wrap up with this last one, which is just uh, so kind of stepping back from from diving, exploration, running a shop. Um, is there any kind of high level life lesson that you've pulled from scuba that applies in your life every day? Something that you learn from scuba that maybe is is that you take with you on a day-to-day -day life basis um, that you'd like to share? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say a method of approaching things methodically has really helped me deal with pretty much every aspect of my life. To me, it was like controlling emotions, really. Uh, learning how to instead of you get a fight with your wife uh, i can have road rage pretty easily i'm really prone to that but i learned things to cave diving and cave exploration to first breathe out <laughs> chill out stop 
until my brain is actually thinking and not just reacting with emotions. And then everything goes way better. Even a fight with the wife, he said, now we can talk instead of feeling at each other. Uh, <laughs> and that's just one of the many examples where I think like the discipline you need in cave diving and cave exploration can apply to many things in life as long as you are aware of, of the improvements you need to do as a human being. Yeah. And I would say that neither of us are very good at controlling our emotions. So it could be so much worse if we were cave divers. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, well, I know, I know uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, and we want to give you a, a huge, huge thank you for spending the time sharing your stories and, and everything with us. I think from my perspective and from Nick's perspective, um, you know, there's just a ton of respect that we have for what you're doing and for who you are as people. And we really appreciated you hosting us while we were there and uh, had an incredible time and, and can't wait to be back together at some point. Um, hopefully not too far away. I know Nick, you're, you're off to Malaysia, but, uh, you know, I, I know I'll be back and Nick will be back at some point, but, but a lot of respect. And I will say out there to all of the, um, I think we decided to call it the scuba verse. <laughs> I was saying scuba land for a while and that's not good because, uh, cause, uh, the, it refers to shops. So to the scuba verse out there, if you're considering, um, you know, cave, if you want to experience the snow days, if you haven't experienced them yet, just on a guided, tour or you want training um, or you want to meet a couple of really cool people and, and chat with them, we can't give a, a bigger recommendation than we would to Under the Jungle and the experience that we had there and to Nat and Vince uh, for their incredible uh, just just openness to, to us coming in and hanging out as kind of two aspiring cave divers, learning the ropes and uh, and trying our best. So Really, really a huge thank you to both of you for being here today. And and you can check them out at underthejungle.com. That's underthejungle.com or just book your flight right now. And I'm sure the, the door will be open for you. Just, you know, Google search once you land and have the cab take you uh, straight to the shop. <laughs> Whichever way. You can either, you know, go to the website or just, you know, book the flight. Either way, it's up to you. Uh, I'd, I'd book the flight. <laughs> but thanks, Nat and, and Vince. Anything to add? Any parting words before we wrap this one up? No, uh, thank you so much for coming and diving with us. It was great to meet you two. And uh, you'll, you'll definitely get to full cave if you want to. Anybody <laughs> can. And from what I heard, you guys did really well. So looking forward to having you back with Cool. Yeah, thank awesome. you very much. And same thing. I hope you, you, you make it back. And next time, yeah, hopefully uh, we have a bit more time to go for a couple of beers or something. Or even a dive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. What does that equation look like? Is it beer over dive or dive <laughs> over beer? For me, I think it's dive over beer and then. You know, coffee. Coffee is first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Dive, dive. <laughs> Six, yes. Yeah. Well, and somewhere in there's tacos and burritos, right? Uh, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in that equation to survive. Okay. We we need an org chart for this. We 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 need to make one that just kind of shows us the primacy of these things because it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> No, I definitely uh, look well, great. forward well, thanks to, again. I was going to say, I look forward to coming back there and taking some more training, some more courses and definitely looking for, looking forward to having a beer with y'all. Uh, definitely. It would be a good time. Yeah. Yes. And I will for sure be back for sure. <laughs> so hopefully sooner than later, um, if I can uh, convince the, the family that it's, uh, I could take some more time away would be awesome. We can good. <laughs> All right, out there in the scuba-verse, uh, again, producer Daniel slapped my hand and makes me call it that, which I kind of like now, so we'll, we'll stay with that. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to be part of the community, obviously you can join us very easily. Connect with us at thedivetable.com. All kinds of things you can do there. Subscribe to the mailing list. Leave us a voicemail. Hey, if you leave a voicemail for Nat and Vince, we're happy to send it their way as well. Um, and say howdy. Send us a message. We love getting those messages. We love hearing from you. 
And then make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. Any parting thoughts, Nick, Nat, Vince? Uh, no, I would say just thank you to be to, to have us and thank you to be more interested than my mom. Apparently we do some cool things. <laughs> Our pleasure, Nick. No, no, it's been uh, great. Thank you. Obviously, thank you once again. It's been awesome. And uh, I know you're about to take a trip, Vince. So safe travels and definitely looking forward to the next time I can get back out to Mexico to visit y'all and uh, uh, just do a little bit more diving down there. And good luck on your moves. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I am very much looking forward to it. It should be a new new adventure, if if definitely it's going to be an adventure. So it should be a good time. Look for Kate. Ask her out. Yes, I actually started kind of looking into that uh, just because I was curious a little bit about that. Um, but, yeah, I definitely have pretty pretty far away before I can probably get into a cave. But um, I was kind of looking into that area to see. <laughs> very true very true maybe maybe uh under the jungle can come out there and do an exploration project <laughs> just tell us him. all right awesome <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us today and we look forward to having you back on the next episode of the dive table